Hey guys, so excited to be with you today. Merry, Merry Christmas, guys. Oh man, what a month it's been. As uh, we've been together in this series, Snapshots of a Savior, we've really been in a month-long celebration of a Savior that culminates at Christmas. And I would just encourage you, I can't encourage you enough to show up for our Christmas Eve service. Now, check this out. We are going to have a live Christmas Eve service that you can show up for, or you can choose to uh, be a part of our worship experience Christmas Eve service online. Uh, either way you go is fine with us. Uh, you may be doing Christmas Eve just at home quietly with your immediately family. If you wanted to just uh, participate through worship online, just do that. But the big thing is, is that we worship a Savior. Now, again, we have been in this series that uh, we have been covering uh, pictures from the Old Testament prophets. We've been looking at what did the Old Testament prophets expect this Messiah to be? What was he going to look like? What would be his attributes? What might we see in the Christos, the Messiah, the Savior? Now, you heard just a few moments ago, Pastor Kyle read from Isaiah 9. It's a famous passage, and there's way too much for me to go through it verse by verse. So what I want to do today is I want to meditate on just a couple of words that you see here in Isaiah 9. The prophet says that the Messiah would be, watch this, you'll see it on the screen, wonderful counselor. Those two words, wonderful counselor. Now, it really is fascinating when you think about it, because if you consider both of those two words in reverse, which is what we're going to do today, what you have are the subjects of wisdom and wonder. And Christmas really is all about those two things, wisdom and wonder. So let's just start with the first thing. Let's write this down almost immediately. Number one, if you're taking notes, Christmas is about wisdom. Why? Because the counselor is a source of wisdom. And Jesus, the child, the babe of Bethlehem, born in a manger, the prophet says he is the counselor. In fact, notice again, verse 1 and 2 of Isaiah 9 said, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. Because... The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. In other words, he, Jesus, comes into a world that is dark and he gives it a light that you and I needed to have, a wisdom that we needed to have. Now, in other words, I want for you to get this. The whole idea of Christmas is... God comes into the world because the world doesn't have the wisdom or the resources to deal with its own problems. We live in the land of the shadow of death. We walk in darkness. Now, you say, Pastor, what do you mean that we don't have the wisdom? Well, let me just give you this example. As you're just uh, listening or watching this at home, any of you have children that ever fight? 
I know that I have. I have, in fact, I've got uh, my, my kids and then I've got my nieces and my nephews and they used to all be over at the house and occasionally they'd fight. And at various times I'd have a house full of kids and you've been there when you have a house full of kids. You're constantly in conflict resolution. And you can imagine some of these times you're trying to get work done and they're all fighting and it's distracting. So what is one of the first things that you try and do with your kids? Well, especially if you just imagine this, if you're upstairs working, one of the first things that you're going to do is you're going to try and get your kids to fix themselves and you're going to do that by sending your advice downstairs. You're going to send down your word. You're going to say things like, share the toy or take turns, or, or you name it. I mean, a revolutionary idea. You're going to want them to fix it. Now, if that doesn't do it, in other words, if you can't get them to solve the problem themselves by sending down your word, then what do you do? Well, if you're like me, you then yell, hey, don't make me come down there, you know, because you're trying to get them to get it done themselves. But if you have kids like I have kids, and I'm sure you do, there are times when your word had to become flesh. You had to become incarnate to the place where your kids were. In other words, you had to be there in body. Now, follow me here. Do you know what the message of Christmas really is? The message of Christmas is God himself had to come downstairs. God says, look, you've had plenty of advice You've had the prophets, you've had wise men, you've had sages. I've sent my word down. But Christmas actually says the world is in trouble. Christmas says our wisdom, the world's wisdom, is so inadequate to deal with our issues. God says, I've got to come down. And in that way, you know, people, they accept Christmas. They love Christmas. In fact, if you look at culture, culture accepts wisdom far more welcomingly, more acceptingly than they do, for example, Easter or other religious holidays. But, but Christmas is actually an affront. It's an offense to the world's wisdom because Christmas is saying we can't handle it ourselves. You don't have the wisdom to get it done. Now, for just a minute, I want you to think about the wisdom of God and contrast it with our wisdom and what the scripture, and the scripture does this. It contrasts these two things. Why did God do it the way he did it? Now you think about the way he did it. What is Christmas all about? It's God in a manger. And that's an absolute contrast to the world's wisdom or the way that they, we would do things. In fact, it's an absolute affront to the world's idea of power. Let me illustrate. If you said... If you said, you know, 2,000 years from now, I'd like three quarters of the human race to know my name. Or you said, you know, hey, 2,000 years from now, I'd like a quarter of the world's population to devote themselves to me. How would you go about getting that done? I mean, you'd probably, I would think, get consultants together. You'd write strategic plans. But I can tell you what all the consultants are not going to say. They're not going to say that you should get born in a stable, be, get born in manure and in urine in a little town in the middle of nowhere. In fact, they're going to tell you that'll never work. But it did work. And in that way, Christmas made foolish the wisdom of the world. That's why 1 Corinthians rightly points out, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise 
and he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Now, friends, listen to me for just a minute. One of the One of the things that I find funny about people today is that people are always trying to rationalize or make human sense out of God's ways. And and what we do is we go back to the Bible and we look at the stories and we try and, we sort of try and sanitize the stories to make them a little less miraculous, a little less ridiculous sounding. Why? Because we want the words, God's word, to fit within the human reason. In fact, I saw this picture not too long ago that illustrates what I'm talking about. Every once in a while, you come across places in the scripture where you don't quite understand something, and so you're like, well, I'm just going to pretend that's not there. And so, you know, we don't like parts of the Bible, it doesn't fit our wisdom, and we don't want to believe that it's true. In fact, one time I was talking to a skeptical Christian, and he came right out and he said, you know, I believe all the birth stories of Jesus in the Gospels, they're all fiction. He says, I don't believe in the incarnation. He says, I don't believe that he was deity. I don't believe in the virgin birth. I I don't believe any of that, he said. So I just looked at him and I said, well, that's interesting. Well, why do you go to church? I said, well, why why do you go to Christmas service? He said, well, here's what you have to do, pastor. You you have to sort of reinterpret the stories. And he says, when I see Jesus and I see him born in a manger, I like to think of it like, like God likes to work through little people. He likes to work through outsiders and the marginal. And and reading those stories, he says, it, it just warms my heart. He says, but I can't believe this miracle stuff. Now, you see what he's doing. He's trying to reinterpret the scriptures through the wisdom of the world. Now, guys, do you know how different that is from how it actually happened in history? When the angel Gabriel came to Mary and announced Christmas to her, what did we read happen? Gabriel said, if you remember, you will be with child, even though you haven't had sex with anybody, you will give birth to a son, and not just any son, His name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God come downstairs. God is now with us. Now, what did she say when she heard that news? Did she say, oh, it just warms my heart. How wonderful that, how wonderful that, that that God works through little marginal people like me. Is that what she said? No. What did she say? The angel says to her, you're going to get pregnant even though you're not having sex with anybody. And she says, what? She says, how? How could that be? That's not possible. How is that possible? And through whom? Whom? Who am I going to get pregnant with? In other words, God's wisdom completely shatters her paradigm. Christmas shatters her paradigm. All her worldly wisdom goes out the door. And God's wisdom comes in and says, I don't do things the way that you do things. And Gabriel, if you remember, he actually says to her, when she questions it, he says, for nothing when is impossible with God. Now, I wonder, who needs to hear that today? And I ask that because some of you today may just feel absolutely hopeless. But guys, I just want to say something to you. Christ offers a wisdom that the world never could. And look, I love uh, some things that we learn in what I'd call secular wisdom or worldly wisdom. I mean, it's not really, it's really all God's wisdom. But what I'm trying to say is I love to learn. I love science. I love philosophy. I love academics. But let me tell you something. There are some things that worldly wisdom 
It'll never do. In fact, it doesn't even claim to be able to do. There are some things that only God can tell you. And by the way, the things that only God can tell you are things that you and I desperately need to, need to hear. Let me give you some examples if you just write these down. You and I need to be able to face death with assurance, with confidence, with even joy. We have to be able to do that. Now, now some of us feel like, oh, we don't need to do that or we're not worried about that yet. But boy, even if you've had to deal with the death of a loved one and you've come face to face with death, we need that assurance. And if you don't think you do, you will. Now, only God can answer that question. Only supernatural wisdom gives you that. Or here's the second thing. We need to be able to live with our own past. You know, only the counselor can tell you how to do that. Only he is able to help you get absolute peace of conscience and deep inner self-acceptance, even, even though you've made the mistakes and have the regrets. No matter what you've done, that's what the counselor is able to do for you. Or let me give you another example. It's only supernatural wisdom, God's wisdom that enables you to really know and have the power to forgive your enemies, even though they've deeply hurt you. Now, friends, do you think that education can offer you answers to that? Do you think Plato can do that? Do you think literary theory can do that? Do you think critical theory can do that and answer those questions? It can't. But God can. By the way, this is the reason why you look at other parts of the world. For example, if you look at the country of Rwanda or if you look at what's going on in Latin America, do you know what's growing seven to, seven to ten times faster than even their population? Even in those populated places like the barrios and the alleyways. Let me, let me just say it this way. They're not forming little study groups around Plato or critical theory. No, no, no. They're coming together to study the Bible, to study the gospel. And revival's happening because it's teaching them how to face death. It's teaching them how to deal with their conscience. It's teaching them how to break addictive habits. It's teaching them how to put their families back together. See, because Christmas is about wisdom. Christmas is about the wisdom of God. It's a, it's a wonderful foolishness. He is the counselor. But he's not just the counselor. The scripture says he is the wonderful counselor. And so I want you to write down this second thing. That Christmas is not just about wisdom. Christmas is about wonder. Now, when you read a verse like this, if you go to Isaiah 9 and read those verses this week, it's powerful. Look at what it says in verse 6. For to us a child is born... And the government will be on his shoulders, for he will be called again, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, friends, when you read a scripture like this, I'm going to say, just, just right now, there is a tendency to look right past the word wonderful and jump into the other things. Because when you read the word wonderful, you tend to go right past it. You tend to think, well, that means he's a terrific counselor. Or that means that he's a, he's a great counselor. And you don't, you don't think anything. But when you look at this word, wonderful, do you know what it's really saying? You know what that word is really telling you? Well, you can understand it by looking at these four expressions. And guys, these are amazing. I want for you to get this. It says, Jesus is, yes, wonderful counselor, meaning he is the true source of wisdom. But also it says, notice, he is mighty God. Now, you know what the word mighty means? 
Mighty comes from the Hebrew word, gabor. It means that this one, this Jesus, the Christ, would be the hero, the, the champion. He would be the knight in shining armor, gabor. He is the one who saves the people. He's the one who saves his friends, who gives us life. In fact, a few weeks ago, there was a child that came to me, and during church, she drew me a card, a picture, and this was on the card. Take a look. It's a, the babe Jesus, born in Bethlehem, and there's Mary and Joseph. But then I noticed if you open up the fold, what you see on the inside is Gabor. Why? Because this is what the babe of Bethlehem did. He's the one who came to save the people. Now, he's not just mighty. He's not just the hero. The prophet says he is the everlasting father. Now, this is a big thing because what it's saying is, is that he's not just, see, in the Hebrew culture, what, what Isaiah is trying to say is that he's not just going to be a demigod or a second-class god. No, no, no. This is the everlasting one. This is God himself. And what Isaiah is saying is, is that your Gabor, your knight in shining armor, is actually your dad. He's the one who's going to bring family intimacy with him. He's the one that will embrace you like a father, like a papa. And he's going to bring intimacy. And last, not only is he counselor, full of wisdom, mighty God, Gabor, the hero, everlasting father, but it says he is the prince of peace. Now, this is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. And by shalom, let's be clear, He's not just talking about inner peace. What shalom means is full economic, spiritual, physical, flourishing peace. In other words, I'm saying Jesus isn't just concerned about how you deal with the problems on the inside. What this is indicating is that Jesus is going to come and he's going to actually create a new heavens and a new earth that he's going to bring righteousness and he's going to bring justice. He's going to get rid of poverty and he's going to get rid of violence and injustice and war. Jesus is the one who's going to get rid of disease. Now, today, as believers, as Christians, knowing this is where God is going, this is how we live as kingdom people. We act against poverty and violence and injustice and war and disease. We act with love because we want to reflect something of his coming kingdom. Now, friends, I'd say this to you. I'd ask you, when you know that God is all these things, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, God is all that. How could that not be life-changing to know that? My goodness, that's who the baby born in the manger actually is. And so Christians, before we're done here today, I just want to take a, a few minutes and just, I want to ask you a question and I just ask you to be honest. Do you believe that God really is all of those things? Do we believe that? Because if we really do believe it, I'd like to ask, why do you think we still struggle with so many things that we still struggle with? If we believe that God is all of those things, why do we grow so indifferent? Why, do, why are we so worried? Why are we so anxious? Why aren't we different if we actually believe this is who the babe of Bethlehem is? Well, I'd like to suggest... It's because for many of us, even though we claim to be Christians, 
we haven't gotten in touch with God's wonder. Let me illustrate something. You know, one of, one of my favorite people to read is a guy by the name, I've mentioned him before, his name is Jonathan Edwards. He was a theology professor. He was a pastor. He was the prince of preachers. And he was trying to look at the difference between people who were religious, Christians who were religious, but they were people who just sort of used God or named God. And he was trying to look at the difference between those people and real Christians who were actually born again, who had experienced his grace. And you know what he discovered? He discovered that the one big difference that he noticed in the lives of these two groups is, is the word praise. Here's what he said. He said, everybody petitions God. Everybody says, oh God, give me this. Everybody says, oh God, give me that. Or God, I have a problem. Help me with this. Everybody does that. Everybody goes to God for that. But it's only the people who actually want God for himself. Only the people who God is not the means to an end, but God is the end himself. That had experienced his grace. Now, it's those people that are filled with God's wonder. And because they're filled with God's wonder, they love to praise him. In fact, I just want for you to write something down that's going to apply very much to your life. Listen. Learning to praise God is actually the key to experiencing the wonder of God. Now, I want to tell you about somebody else, somebody that I also like to talk about a lot. Uh, this guy coming up on the screen, you'll see him at C.S. Lewis. And I'm going to drill this down just a little bit because C.S. Lewis, when he was becoming a Christian, one of the things that he really struggled with big time, I mean, he, it, it was one of the obstacles of him actually coming to faith. And he wasn't quite yet there. He wasn't over it. Was He noticed in the Bible that God actually commands people to praise him. You know, he says, we're commanded to praise God. For example, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter all in the month of January. But, but notice it says in 1 people, it says, because you are a chosen people, you are to declare the praises of him who called you. Isn't that interesting? Because you've come out of darkness and now you're in his wonderful light, the, the light of the counselor. You've been born again. God says, you must now declare his praises. And I'm just going to say to you, C.S. Lewis struggled with that. He struggled with that big time. And here's what Lewis said about it. He said, you know, my struggle is, is that I know people who like to be praised and everybody hates them. He says, what a stuck up God is this? And he struggled. But then, if you study the life of C.S. Lewis, and there's this life-changing chapter in a book that's called Reflection of the Psalms. I'd encourage you to pick it up today and read it. It is powerful. It's Lewis's own reflections going through the Psalms. And as he begins to search God, he notices something. And I want to read this to you first. He says, but the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, had strangely escaped me. I had never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise unless, sometimes even if, shyness for the fear of boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. In other words, what's C.S. Lewis saying here? He's saying, look, when you love something, you have to praise it. You intuitively praise it unless you deliberately check yourself because you're embarrassed. Otherwise, you want to give it praise. Now, he noticed this happens all the time. And indulge me, because this is powerful. Let's go on. Look at what he says. He says, the world rings with praise. Have you noticed? Lovers praising their mistresses. 
readers their favorite poet, walkers praising the countryside, praise of the weather, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, children, flowers, mountains, and more than that. Here's what he says, and you've got to get this. He says about praise. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. Now, let me just read that line again. I want you to get it. He says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it actually completes the enjoyment. It is the appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. Do you see? Guys, this makes absolute sense. And this is what he came to understand. Look, come on. When you really love something, when you love a book or you love a movie or you love art or, you know, you just love that beautiful piece of music, what do you do? You desperately just want to grab somebody and you want to say, look at this. Don't you think this is great? You want to show them. Kids intuitively do this. They say, mommy, daddy, look at this. You intuitively want to praise that which you enjoy. What are you doing? You're praising it. Why? Because you can't fully enjoy it unless you praise it. Praise actually completes the enjoyment of that thing you love. Now, Let's go back to the question. Why would God command you and me to praise him? It's because God, he wants us to have wonder. Guys, don't you see? God is the ultimate music. God is the ultimate work of art. God is the ultimate landscape. He is the beauty of beauties. And when you get in touch with that, that's what teaches you how to handle your past. That's what enables you to be able to deal with your enemies. That's what enables you to be able to deal with death, to deal with your work. Do you see, it's not enough that you just believe that God is wise. He has to be the wonderful wisdom of your life, the God of wonder. Can I ask you, is he? Is he the God of wonder in your life? In fact, let me just close with this. Do you praise him? Do you take time to give him praise? This Christmas, I'd encourage you to do that. In fact, write this down. I want you this Christmas to start what I'd call practicing the pleasure of praising him. And I'd encourage you to do it sometime this week. Just begin. Take 15 minutes. You know, I begin every morning. I give God the first of my day. And usually I put in my my headphones praise music or the scripture. And I just start the day praising the wonder of God and who he is. I I encourage you to start doing that. (laughs) Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heaven and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord for he commanded and they were created. 
Go through, begin this week, and just start praising God for the fact that he is the wonderful counselor. He is the heroic God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. And I'm going to say this to you. As you start to do it, you will start to feel it. Now, it may take a few minutes. It may take two days. It may take a couple hours. It may take three hours, but eventually it will become real to you. You'll hear the music and you'll start to see God. By the way, this is exactly why I have been encouraging people to join us and learn how to do this through what I'm calling Tuesday morning, early morning prayer at 6 a.m., And in fact, until our uh, stay-at-home order, uh, there were people that were coming with their masks on in our lounge and creating an environment where people would just seek God. It was just a beautiful thing. But check this out. We've also gone virtual. So while we're still creating an environment in the room, there's, there's one of us that's coming in the room. We've actually gone virtual at this time. And we're asking you at home, make a cup of coffee and uh, turn on some worship music and zoom in with us as we experience the praise and wonder of God together. I would invite you to do that. In fact, if you've not started with us, early morning prayer, start this week, Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. All you need to do to know how to get into this virtual room where it's gonna be amazing, you're joining with community, is you just email Pastor Shane at North Point. Email this address that you see right here and I'll get you your, all the information that you need just to log in and you'll just join us via Zoom and it's gonna be awesome because you're just learning how to praise the name of the Lord. Guys, I'd also encourage this. Over the next several weeks, as we, as we recommit to the wonderful counselor, the God of wisdom and wonder, we're going to be encouraging you over the next several weeks to begin thinking about how next year is going to look different in your inner life, in your outer life, in your public life, because you're committing to put Jesus first every day by spending time with him. Jesus says, If you walk in the spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The Old Testament says, blessed is he who meditates on the word of God. He'll be like a tree planted by a stream of water that bears fruit. What does it mean to bear fruit? It means that your life produces the right stuff. Jesus said that in the New Testament, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. And so we're gonna be encouraging you ways to walk with the Lord daily. And so you're gonna be hearing about Bible reading plans. You're gonna be hearing about prayer journals because we want you equipped so that, uh, you know, January 1, you can say 2021 is gonna look different. In fact, today, I wanna encourage you to pick up this prayer journal that you see on the screen here. This is a 2021 prayer diary and our prayer journal, as I like to call it, but I've used this for years. And it has on the inside, it has a Bible reading plan. It has space for you to journal your prayers. It actually teaches you some things about world missions and what's going on in the world. And it is amazing. It'll facilitate for you the process of daily time with Jesus. And Join us for Tuesdays as we teach you how to do that. And, uh, or you may already know how to do it, but you're joining us Tuesdays just so that corporately we can call on God together. And, uh, and we want to get these in your hands. So those prayer journals we actually have today. If you're watching this and you want to just come down to our live service, it's at 11 o'clock. At the end of the service, we'll have a booth where you can pick those up safely and responsibly. We'll be giving those to you. Or if you just order one of those, we'll mail it to you. In fact, here's the deal. These prayer journals, they're only 10 bucks because we're going we're gonna to 
eat the cost of shipping. They've been shipped to us. And we're going to give them to you for $10 flat. And uh, then we'll mail them to you. If you just email pastorshane at northpoint.org, that same email will get those in your hands. Why? Because, guys, he is the God of wonder. Do you praise him? He is the God of wisdom. Turn to him. The babe of Bethlehem will change your life. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, but you'd like to, the good news is that you can. You can pray with me right now and we can say, God, I wanna know you. I want you to come into my life and be my savior. And if that's you, let us know you're doing it. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to encourage you. I'm gonna lead us in prayer right now. Father, I pray for every person that has worshiped with us today and participated in this service. Thank you for these snapshots of the hope of ages, the rock of ages, the one who would come, the Messiah. Lord, it's been an amazing week as we've covered these and we're moving into Christmas Eve. Help us to reflect on you like never before and not miss you this Christmas, but to get in touch with you. There are some out there that need to renew a commitment of faith to you. Make yourself real to them in this moment in the name of Jesus. And you just pray this prayer with me at home. If this is you, Father, I want to know you. Come into my life and be my Savior and be my Lord. You are the God of wisdom, you are the God of wonder the King of kings and Lord of lords. Forgive me of my sin. I can't make it without you. You had to come downstairs to meet me where I am. I invite you to take the steering wheel of my life and lead me in the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.